Welcome to the Decisions That Matter podcast, where we meet with leaders from across the procurement community to discuss innovative and strategic ideas. Because when it comes to procurement, every decision matters. Joining me today on the Decisions That Matter podcast is Diane Palmer Beck. She is the Director of Procurement and Project Management at the City of Plano. Thank you, Diane, for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm good. I appreciate being here. To get started, can you tell me a little bit about why you decided to get into public service, to get into procurement when you did? Sure thing. Actually, procurement picked me before I even knew it was a profession. I was um, living on a military base, and they happened to have a job opening that I applied for and got, and uh, it was just a fit for me. That was close to 30 years ago I started. I was a buyer on a military base in Alabama and then down in uh, Fort Hood in Colleen, and the reason I stayed in it, that I, why it became a fit for me was I really liked impacting where I lived. Mm-hmm. and making the lives better, whether it was for the soldiers and their families on base or now the citizens in the community that I live in. So it, it ended up being a really good fit for me, but it, it chose me initially, the profession. I mean, at the end of the day, the decisions that you're making in all the different categories you're making, it really do impact the lives of every citizen, every military member, all these different people. Absolutely. So in your current role, I know you, one of your primary areas of focus is solving staffing issues. Can you tell me a little bit about how long that's been an issue for you, how you're going about solving it this year, what some of the main components of that are? You know, it's been an issue for a long time in, in the profession, uh, yes. partially because a lot of people don't even know it's an option as a profession. Uh, so we try as National organizations try to reach out through universities and scholastic areas to try and attract people. We get very involved with associations over the years to just network, let them know who we are from a profession as well as from the city of Plano being a, a place of excellence to live and work, try to attract in that manner. We're also recently, about four years ago, we added a division to the procurement department that doesn't exist in most other procurement areas, which is our project management office. Okay. And that skill set came comes from, you know, these are people who are, are in the project management profession. They are certified through the Project Management Institute. They have been a great complement to our team and what we do. So we actually started reaching out through PMI. They have local chapters and a national group, and we've been trying to attract same skill set, different profession mm-hmm. to try and attract that in. So we've actually hired some folks down in our procurement side that have that project management background, not procurement. Worked out great so far. So that's, that's been that's, opening up to another skill set. And that translates pretty well over to the type of work you're doing on the procurement side, I'm assuming. That kind of organization it's, and it's, framework. Yeah, because, you know, at the end of the day, procurement professionals, in some form or fashion, are project managers. We just don't call it that. But bringing in those that are trained specifically in project management methodologies, uh, doing that deeper dive into procurement from business process reviews, work breakdown structures, which gets you into, that's a statement of work, right? So Mm -hmm. it just is a very transferable skill set that's worked really well in marrying up for success here. Do you find that you have to do a lot of competing with companies in the private sector 
when you're trying to attack, attract employees? I think it depends on what's going on in the marketplace with the private sector. When the private sector is having less success, not, not having a lot of opportunities, we tend to tick up in those applicants that are coming in. When it comes to recruiting and retention, you obviously want to bring in younger people, get them into the field, sort of how it happened for you. And then you also want to retain the people that you already have. Have you been doing anything to improve the amount of time you keep people? And We're really fortunate. Plano has a culture and environment that we tend to retain employees. I've got people that have been here. I've been here over 20. I've got people been here over 15, over 10. Nice. So I'm very fortunate there. But as far as trying to uh, retain, that's a culture. That's, mm-hmm. th- that's a definite piece of it. But a lot of it is making sure they have opportunities to not feel like they've been pigeonholed or stagnated. To yeah. professional development is really important and not necessarily just having them attend professional development. Internally, we have a training program. So okay. historically, that was something that the managers or the directors would push out. Well, I've got a lot of experts in my team. Mm-hmm. I have them develop the training programs. I have them go out and train the people they're working with rather than just having them sit behind their desk processing all day and working with vendors. So the more interaction they get, the the more excited they get about their jobs. You know, if we've got somebody that works on a new fire station, they go to that big opening, they go to the ribbon cutting, you know, they Mm -hmm. are recognized for their role. And I think that that's a big part of it is making sure that it's, it doesn't remain the thankless job that procurement tends to be. Your stats are awesome on how long people are staying at the city, but really that kind of experience of we're doing something bigger than just like, we're not just pushing papers. We're not just signing deals. We're not just signing contracts. We're doing, we're doing stuff that really matters and, and stuff that people are excited about. That's right. Great. We have staff that actually have offices with their end user departments that they go to throughout the week. So they're That's out cool. there with their folks. So there's, there's a real collaboration and an interaction uh, with who their end users, who their customers are versus just the team itself. So it's, that, that really helps, and that seems to attract the right person. Those folks who want that kind of work environment mm-hmm. really seem to thrive in what we do. Well, and that sounds like it would be mutually beneficial too, right? So it's beneficial to the end user because they have a direct line to your office. But then also for you from the procurement side, you actually can develop a full understanding of what's going on, what suppliers are doing well, which ones aren't, instead of just being sort of in the dark. Yeah, we share the pain points and the successes. So, so other than some of the staffing issues, are there any big things down in Texas that are uh, major issues you're focusing on? Oh, I think everybody still struggles probably with the technology procurement. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't always lend themselves to some of the statutes that we all have to follow. So that technology procurement, the the length of time it takes to make a technology procurement versus how quickly technology changes, I I think that's probably a challenge. And that challenge has been there for a long time. I think we see it now because we're in that world of almost instant gratification. Mm -hmm. Saw this, let's get it in, let's get it working. But, you know, there's budget processes, approval processes, bids and proposals and uh, that's where the project management piece that we've layered in has actually helped with that, uh, having the people that are seasoned in looking at business processes, documenting those processes, uh, work breakdown structures, all those things that go into that that uh, 
bring a tremendous value to the process and help not necessarily speed it up, but make it much more efficient. Yeah, so that, that efficiency piece is, is key, I think. Oh, I, absolutely. Any, like a wasted week here, a wasted week there, a miscommunication. That's the kind of stuff that can, can delay those processes a lot. Um, We're very big on communication. That's a, that's a that's kind of one of the the fulcrums of what we do in our department is our statusing and our letting everybody know where we are, what's going on, what the risks are, what the concerns are. Coming to the table with alternatives, not just a no, we can't do that. Uh, talking through it together. Uh, some procurement offices are not like that. It's mm -hmm. just yes or no, and we are just going to turn over the paper. Uh, so fortunately, that's not the culture here. It's funny because obviously this podcast is about procurement, but that's one of those things where like you could apply that to any any job in any department, and that that's how things should kind of be operating. Do you think the the delays that are sort of out of your control would only be fixed really from a legislative standpoint? It's part of it's part of the issue. Uh, I think you know you get the vendor community gets involved in in things as well. It has to be a real partnership. Oftentimes, what we think we're getting isn't what we're getting. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's cycling back to really understanding what we're what success looks like for us and making sure that the vendor community truly understands that through our proposal processes. What do you do in that scenario when you have to go back to a vendor that might not have delivered exactly what you asked for? We partner very closely with the project manager who's over that because our project managers are yeah. responsible for our technology implementations here. So we implemented a few years back as part of the procurement process, what's called a reverse traceability matrix. So that really goes through every objective and every deliverable that has to come across as part of that solution. And when that doesn't come to fruition during an implementation, they then partner with the procurement side of the house and we go through that show cause cure process and mm -hmm. how do we get from A to B? What does success look like? And also determine can we get to success? Did did we make a good award to begin with? And then working through that. But we, we do a pretty deep dive on the contract administration side of that when we're finding it, hey, you know, we're we're not getting what we expected. A lot of software companies when they go through processes, they try to get their money up front. Some entities mm -hmm. do that. We we don't. We do milestone yeah. progress payments, make sure that earned value. We don't go upside down on our earned value. So that that's some of what the project management group brings to the to that conversation. So there's they have more initiative to they take more initiative on the vendor side because mm -hmm. they don't have money in the pocket yet. Each project manager can approach it their own way, or do you have kind of a standardized rubric or a way of giving vendors grades or status or something like that? Well, we, we status every week. Um, okay. there, there, there's a lot of touch points. We status with the department every week. We've mm -hmm. got user testing plans. We have specific milestones, again, against if we were to, you know, do a full-blown earned value analysis. Yeah. Uh, so we rely very heavily on those, the specification statement of objectives we use mostly for technology. Uh, and then that reverse traceability matrix based on our objectives and then their response to how they're going to meet that. And then there's a lot of partnering with the procurement side. Once we get into that, that becomes a procurement function for us. Once we get into a cure default situation, and then we partner very closely with the legal department here as well. 
So to pivot a little bit, one of the questions I like to ask is if you could kind of give a piece of advice. I mean, you, you've had some great experience in procurement and have made a huge impact. If you could give a piece of advice to someone kind of starting off in the industry and maybe their first four, six, eight years, what would you tell them? Or do you have any sort of tips and tricks that would help people move to that next stage of their career? Yeah, <laughs> I, I think, and I, I'm going to use some of my folks that have been here with, with us for, for a long time now. And mm-hmm. they would come in and say, how do I move up? What, what are my steps? What can I learn? What can, yeah. I, what can I learn? Tell me what to do. A lot of the procurement, procurement profession is on the job learning. Mm-hmm. We have our foundation. It's kind of like building a house, right? You've got your foundation, which are our laws, yeah. which you can't do anything about. You work within your laws. Then you get into your policies and procedures and you build best practices around that. Mm-hmm. And then you have to build around that what works for your entity. Because the best practice here may not be a best practice, considered a best practice somewhere else. But it's really a building block. And you just sometimes you just have to go through it to learn it. I tell people I learned more out of the war stories, the things that I did wrong or that mm-hmm. I did poorly, or things I didn't know I wasn't doing well and found out the hard way, that I had a bid protest or I had a contractor that defaulted. I learned a lot that way. Uh, but talking to people, networking, being patient is, is pro- and, and allowing yourself the time to grow. A lot of times people want to move up very quickly. Uh, I think you need, there's so many facets to procurement that yeah, it's absolutely. not something you can walk in and learn in a year. It just, it really isn't. Because, uh, you know, you've got your basic laws, but then you've got contract law and, what, and, the, and the UCC, the Uniform Commercial Code and yeah, there's all sorts of things that build on top of that that just take some time. For some of the things where you, you mentioned this kind of the stumbling blocks or learning from those mistakes, is that something where it's, it's almost just like, oh, it was a blind spot because I didn't even know this type of mistake was a mistake that could happen? Or Yeah, we, most of it is something that you just say, oh, if I had only thought about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I, people tell me what one trait do you fi- want to find in somebody that you bring into procurement? And I, it's been the same answer for me for 30 years. If you're a critical thinker, I can teach you procurement. You can do procurement. We mm-hmm. are conspiracy theorists to a certain degree. Think, think yeah. about what can go wrong yeah, and work sure. backwards. Uh, so so that's, a big, that's a big piece of it is just being able to think about what could actually go wrong. What could you issue a cure notice for? What could keep the building from opening on time, unforeseen situations, and then remembering those, lessons learned, keep those things in the forefront, have discussions with people and share the knowledge. Because if it happened once to us, it's gonna happen to somebody else at some point in time. We're not doing things all that different every single time. There's a lot of repetitiveness to what we do from a project standpoint. Yeah, and and there's so many moving parts that you really do. It does take time to figure out, all right, what's what are the, the 40 things I have to consider? And- well, we have a list for different types of procurements. You know, mm-hmm. we have, we have, I've got the construction management group is under the procurement department as well. So we've got checklists. To, we want to discuss these things during the pre-acquisition yeah. for construction. We want to discuss these things under pre-acquisition for technology, this for goods and services. And, and you know, depending on the, the commodity or the service that we're looking at, we have certain mm-hmm. things we know to ask specifically to, to do our best to close that gap so that we don't end up in the ditch. 
Well, and that's how you, that's a perfect example of learning from your mistake. Once there's something and you flag it, that goes into the process. So that exact thing doesn't happen again. Right. And then it's getting our end users on board with that. A lot of times, you yeah. know, our end users don't want procurement's not their favorite department to interact with. So really building those relationships, which is what helped us by having buyers on the ground working at their mm -hmm. location instead of having them come over here to meet with us. And so that becomes part of that conversation. Hey guys, this happened last time at this department. I don't want it to happen mm -hmm. to you. So what does that look like? What does failure look like in this case? And how can we get ahead of it? It's funny to me too that you mentioned the conspiracy theorist aspect of it. I'm thinking of what can go <laughs> wrong. I, I always, uh, my analogy for it is procurement folks are basically like the offensive linemen of, of the government where when you're not making any mistakes, everyone's like, cool, good job. Did great, you did great, but they don't really notice. Um, and then when you make a little mistake, it's like glaringly obvious because someone got sacked or the running back fumbled or something. Um, right. So I think that's, that's part of what we're trying to do here is actually point out the stuff where it's like, actually, people are doing some really awesome work and making a huge difference in ways that aren't necessarily making the front page of the newspaper, but are actually a really big deal. Absolutely. Do you have any mentors or peers that you've been, that have been influential on how you put your work, how you think about procurement, and who have you really learned the most from? Um... Yeah, I've been extremely blessed to have different mentors throughout my 30 years. My previous boss was very involved when I started working for Plano. He was very involved in regional procurements, uh, legislative process on procurement. So he really helped me from a technical standpoint. He was a great mentor. Learning procurement, learning to get out of my way, you know, the military background that was very stringent, kind of told you exactly what to do when you when I purchased for them, where we didn't need to be that strict here. So that was a little bit of a learning curve for me and helped me kind of get out of my way and really look at it, mm -hmm. um, the customer service aspect. So that started, you know, 22 years ago when I started here. Um, and then I was very involved with, with one particular national organization and uh, just networked and had two very influential women, one within Texas and one out in the uh, Nevada area that uh, really worked with me as I went up through the ranks through that organization and just really took me under their wing and, and worked with me and listened and helped me, you know, have the conversations I enjoy having with others now. Well, what if you did it this way? What would that look like? Mm -hmm. uh, no, you don't definitely don't want to do that. And here's why. And, um, you know, navigating through statutes and processes and policies. So I have been really fortunate that I've, I've had some folks in that regard. And then I've also had one in particular mentor here from a management supervisory standpoint that really coached me and was there to help me learn how to be that, that, that manager that, that, the employee base is, is taken into consideration first mm -hmm. and foremost as a customer. I consider my employees my customers just like I consider my departments my customers. Their success is the department's success is the entity's success. If they're happy, that spreads across everything, right? Um, right, they're here for a reason. You know, we bring them on board because they, we believe they can do the job and, you know, nine times out of ten, they can't. It's yeah. not 10 out of 10 and it's just in, there's an empowerment and, you know, I always tell people one of the best roles of my job now is that I get to do what people did for me. And that was, people gave me a chance. They taught me 
they were patient with me, gave me an opportunity to, to shine, not in their shadow, but on my own and yeah. grow. So that's really important to let other people do that. Yeah, that, that's wonderful. Do you have any other um, comments or notes for our audience before we sign off? You know, I think the biggest thing I would, I would say is don't get stuck in a silo. Everybody's in it together. What issues you have at, at your entity, somebody else is having. Uh, reach out to other people. Talk to other folks. Get their feedback. Get their help. That, that's how we grow as a profession. That's how we grow as a, a professional community. Great. Uh, thank you so much. This has been really en enjoyable for me, and I think it was, it's going to be very enjoyable for our audience as well. So I hope you have a great day, um, and I'll, I'll be in touch soon and, and talk soon. Okay. Thanks a bunch. Take care. Thanks for listening to Decisions That Matter. This podcast is brought to you by Procurated, the leading supplier evaluation tool for procurement professionals across the U.S. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. See you again next time.